Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Ashley Willis. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. Will you tell our listeners about your Instagram account? We're going to talk about that. Tell our <laughs> listeners the name of the account and just a little bit about it. Of course. Um, so I created Certain Women um, in February of this year. Um, and it originally started as an account to um, share the stories of uh, women in our church history and women in the scriptures and talk about Holy Mother. Uh, and I felt prompted to later focus on um, church culture and ways we can strengthen women and uh, change church culture for the better. Um, so I take um, a lot of narratives that were given in the church um, that hurt a lot of people. And I um, try to just examine those head on and talk about how we can improve and make the church a more loving and Christ-like place. and. Um, just better our discipleship journeys, I guess. And I'm con I encourage all of our listeners to check out and follow, and many of you probably are, certain.women is how we find it on Instagram. Yes, is that right? Yes. <laughs> and um, just a little bit more about Ashley. Ashley is 19. She's one of our younger guests. She is grew up in England. Part of her life, she grew up in England. There's no English accent there. <laughs> I wish. I wish, yeah. And um, graduated high school there, has been at BYU Hawaii, and is now working in Utah, in Utah County. She Tell our listeners about your mission call that you have and where you're going. I'm going to the Poland-Warsaw Mission. It's the only mission in Poland, and I'll be um, reporting December 15th. And um, it's really wonderful you're serving. And um, my wife and I went to Poland on a about a year ago, we had a stop on a cruise and we went through Poland. I loved that experience there. And it's just a beautiful country. So thank you for your service. Yeah, I'm so excited. Have you ever been there? You've lived in Europe, yes. obviously. Have yes, you been I've to Poland? been once. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's probably, that's yeah. very interesting. <laughs> um, one of the things I love about what Ashley's doing is she's bravely talking about how to improve church culture. and. I think it's okay to look inward and, and sort of say what we need to do better and to talk about these issues because uh, I think we do better. And I think sometimes we have a feeling that we should never talk about how to do better or what might not be very good. And I just think we can be mature enough about our church to look inward at times and say, what can we do better? And I find it's often people of marginalized groups within our church that have a better feeling for some of these issues. Um, LGBTQ, women, minorities, undocumented workers, um, versus talking to the people in our faith that are in the most privileged position, sort of like people like me. <laughs> um, not to say that's true of every experience, but I've learned that it really helps me to listen to others. As I read through these Instagram posts, I wish that I had heard the things that Ashley was sharing earlier in my life. I recognize that I've added to the burdens of others in my church callings and in my conversations because I didn't see things from other points of view. And 
and I'm grateful that people step forward. I wish I had read some of these posts, particularly before I served as a singles word bishop. And it would help me. So I'm grateful for the work Ashley's doing. Um, neither of us are asking for doctrine to change, um, but certainly we can talk about how to improve culture. Yes. And um, I'd love you to talk about, um, you started this account, and then there's this post you did um, called Narratives We Need to Start Giving the Young Women. Yes. We, and uh, it's got like, it's one of these posts with multiple pictures that have mm -hmm. sayings. Do you want to talk about that post and what happened with that post? Yes. Um, so I had about 800 followers and it was just an account uh, dedicated to learning about women in church history pretty much at that point. And I kept feeling guided to talk about church culture and just be vulnerable with that. And it was really scary and I didn't want to for a long time. Um, I was just really worried that people would think I was trying to attack the church and the prophet. And, um, and so I just decided to uh, share this post um, based on my experiences growing up in young women's and things that I wish I'd been taught and things that I was taught that hurt me and um, from a lot of the other young women that I've spoken to. And I shared that and I went to bed and I woke up with over 2,000 new followers and 500 messages. And it was um, kind of that that really kickstarted the uh, narrative series that I'm working on right now. And I, it's been a super sacred experience because I had so many messages from um, girls as young as 12. And I, had, I have a 72-year-old woman that I speak to frequently who is just amazing. And um, they just have shared, this is what I've been thinking for so many years. This has caused me a lot of pain in the past. Um, this is something that I wish could change. This is the kind of leader I want to be. This is the kind of atmosphere I want my daughters to grow up in as opposed to the one that I grew up in. And so um, following that, I did one narratives we need to start giving the young men. And that was also really successful. And I talked to um, men I know and young men that I know and to gain their experiences from that. And that's how I created that post. And um, since then, I've talked about a lot of different things. Most of them come from requests from the people I follow. I try to make it an account where it's more of a community rather than me just sharing um, my thoughts. It's a lot of that, but it's usually I'll get a message and someone's like, hey, can you please talk about modesty? Um, this is something I've just really, really struggled with. And then um, I'll get a lot of submissions and emails and DMs from people sharing their experiences. And that's how I, I gather the posts that I do. Um, so it's just been a very special, sacred experience in, in realizing but there's so many people out there that have been feeling and thinking the same things that I have and who want to change for the better and make it a more Christ-like and loving place. Will you read this post, um, Narratives We Need to Start Giving Young Women? Yes. You may have it memorized, but I'm handing you my phone oh, just in case you don't. I'd love to. Um, I'll start. Virtue and virginity are not the same. Because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as quote-unquote bruised fruit, and your husband will love you regardless of whatever your past looks like. Pornography can affect anyone, including incredible righteous men and women. It's not a sexual problem. It's an emotional problem for the most part, and, everyone, and anyone can be healed through the atonement. You and your choice of clothing are not responsible for men's thoughts. Men are accountable for themselves. 
If you focus on developing good, worthy qualities, you will attract someone with those qualities. What you wear and how you apply the principle of modesty in your life is between you and the Lord, nobody else. Your divine worth is rooted in being a unique child of heavenly parents. As disciples, we are called to be anti-racist, anti-racism, sexism, homophobia, etc. If you identify as LGBTQ+, you are safe, loved, and accepted here. Education is a commandment, and you should pursue a degree for yourself if it's a desire you have. You're equally worthy and good if you don't want to be a wife or a mother. It's equally worthy if you want to focus on a career instead of a family. Our heavenly parents give everyone unique desires, talents, and gifts. So I wrote that. I usually do two-part series, um, and that one was opposed to the narratives we need to stop giving the young women. And I'll just go ahead and read those. Uh, for better context. Um, so for, these are... For men, okay. Yeah. Got it. Narratives you need to stop giving. Uh, your virtue and virginity, we usually equate those two, um, is the greatest gift you can give your future husband. Worthy priesthood holders aren't looking for quote-unquote bruised fruit. You need to get a college degree just in case your husband dies and you have to provide. You need to dress modestly so the young men can have clean thoughts. Dress modestly so you can attract good priesthood holding young men. You can't wear leggings to be swimsuits, etc. Girls can't because the priesthood brethren will be there. Pornography is a men's issue. You shouldn't date or marry someone who struggled with pornography. And your divine worth is rooted in being a wife and a mother. Preparing for motherhood should be your top priority. Learn skills such as child, hair, child care cooking, sewing now. You should strive to be a stay-at-home mom, only work if you have to. And these are all kind of um, narratives that I was given and a lot of my friends were given. And we um, just realizing that a lot of those, I think, and part of why I created this account is because I feel like, at least in the Western church culture, um, it the church is a safe place for the women who want to be stay-at-home moms, which is wonderful. We need those women desperately. And for the men who want to provide and are return missionaries. And for anyone else, uh, women who... They don't have the desire to have a family. They just want a career or the LGBTQ members um, or the young men who don't feel like a mission is for them. They feel a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and um, many of them don't feel safe at church and they feel like there's no real place for them. And so that's one of my main goals in this account is to just draw attention to the fact that there's room for everyone at the table of Christ. And I said that to my mom and she brought up a really good point that Christ doesn't have a table. He comes to you and he will meet you where you are and you will create a table with the Savior and you will sit with him wherever you are, wherever you may be. And I just really love that concept that there's room for everyone in the plan of happiness and in the church especially and our church what we love and we need the return missionaries and um the more traditional roles that um members have we we need everyone no matter what their life circumstances look like it's a great segment are there ones of these that you've read that are particularly like to go back to and share your thoughts with our listeners Yes, I'd love to. I think um, the narrative we give young women and young men about the uh, law of chastity um, can be, and the way we teach it can be really damaging. I remember speaking, I was probably 14, and I was talking to one of my friends who 
had broken the law of chastity and um, she made a comment that said, who's going to want to marry me now? And I accepted that. I was like, yeah, I don't know how you're going to find, you know, a good priesthood worthy young man who's going to want to marry. Because I mean, we have these lessons where we're compared to fruit and broken sticks and a lollipop that's been passed around. And when we're human beings who are on this journey to learn and everyone makes mistakes. And I love a quote that's frequently mentioned on your podcast that you're worth the set and everything else is an experience. Um, and I just, I wish I had known when I was a youth that my virtue and my worth as a daughter of God is not, is not set on anything that I've done. I really wish I had known that. And I think so many um, young women deserve to know that. And I think especially, I mean, the world just gets worse and worse for youth every day. They mess up. They're going to mess up. And um, I think there's a lot of hurt associated with how we teach that principle and specifically the law of chastity, how there's no going back. I think something that I heard frequently was that it's second to murder as far as sins go. And I just think rather focus changing the narrative. And if we start focusing on, you know, this is something that the Lord has commanded out of his love for us. And if you do mess up, then there's the gift of grace. There's, you're never too far from the Lord. And um, so that's something that I think I'm, that's one of the topics I'm more passionate about is that for the youth. Um, and just treating young girls and women, especially as real whole humans with goals and dreams and desires and everyone's, every girl and woman is different instead of, um, you know, the objects were compared to in law of chastity lessons and, uh, assuming objects were compared to in the law of chastity. Yes. Because we are not fruit or sticks. We are human beings. We are divine beings from heavenly parents. And our heavenly parents each gave us unique, like, like experiences and gifts. And not everyone, I think we assume that a lot of girls want to be mothers and want to be stay-at-home moms. And that's just not the case. And so I think we put the young women in groups and in this, in a box almost. And we put these expectations on them instead of focusing on, um, more on the savior and personal revelation and improving your relationship with your heavenly parents. Um, so I think strengthening women is one of the best things we can do. And the young men, I think the better, the more we strengthen the youth and the more we give them the message that the savior loves them. And the more we teach them about the savior and less about these cultural things, um, I think we'll see a major shift. It's really good stuff. Um, I picked up on some of this later in life. I wish I'd picked <laughs> up on it a little earlier. You know, I everything you said in those other posts were the things we shouldn't be doing were things that I did and was comfortable with. And But I love your first set of statements better. Yeah. I love where a young man's responsibility to stay morally clean is not based on women mm-hmm. and how they dress or not dress. That was certainly... I sense a message sent to young yes. women is men are out of control. Your job 
you know, so you have to control them by the way you dress. Yeah, and that damages young men equally. Share with our listeners why. Well, we, um, I think when we tell the young men, um, and obviously I can't speak to the experience growing up as a young man. but And it from, was so long ago for me, I can't remember <laughs> it, but go ahead. Um, when, you know, girls are told, you know, you dress modestly so the young men can have worthy thoughts so that they're worthy to pass the sacrament. Um, that lessens the responsibility that they have. And that makes it so, oh, okay, so it's the woman's responsibility for my thoughts. And I think more subconsciously, they um, blame women for um, the mistakes that they make and the, if they do, and the thoughts that they have um, when they should be held accountable as, and it's not the women's responsibility ever. And I also think it's important that um, we teach the message of consent to young men instead of thinking, okay, if a woman dresses modestly, you know, she's a good, desirable, righteous woman. If she doesn't dress modestly, she has no respect for herself. Uh, she's more of an object. And I think that just feeds into um, the eternalized misogyny that is so present in the church. And so many men and young men don't even realize um, how damaging that is. And so I think it's equally as important to take care of, make sure that the young men are being taught the same things as, as the young women in regards to uh, chastity and morality and just general respect and love. Talk about, will you define for me misogyny and for our listeners like me yes. that don't fully understand that word? Of course. So I um, personally define misogyny. I think the dictionary definition is similar um, as the attitude of oppressing women. And I think it's usually not even realized and it's subconscious because of the society we grow up in where men are more dominant and especially in the church. I mean, you walk into a church building and you see three men on the stand and um, men are the leaders. You have you look, general conference. There's a couple women that speak, but it's mostly men. And um, so I think there is a lot of misogyny as in, men placing themselves on a higher place spiritually than women. Good definition. And um, it's true what you all, what you said, and it's a reality of our church and our structure. Um, and um, what advice do you have for men that are aware of this general issue and want to amplify women's voices? I think just listen. I think um, so many men will try to downplay their experiences or say, that's not true. This isn't sexist. No. Um, and I think if, if more men will just listen to women's experiences and if women, if they're women, the lives come to them and say, hey, I'm really hurt by what you said. I'm really hurt by this comment that you made in church. Or, you know what, general conference was really hard for me because there was a whole session where there wasn't a woman speaker and that really hurt. And instead of downplaying that or um, try to excuse it, just listening and really looking inwards and saying, okay, how can I make this daughter of God, you know, feel like she's an equal because I think so many women in the church don't feel like they're equals. Um, and I think just listening 
And I think it, it takes a lot of humility, I think, to realize that, you know, you could have been part of the problem and you could have hurt the women in your lives, but then committing to just striving to be better. And also I think asking questions is, I love it when, um, you know, men will ask questions like, hey, what can I, I'm teaching a lesson about this. How can I um, make the women feel more included or something like that? I think asking questions and, and listening and taking a really deep look into yourself and maybe the things that you've done. It's similar to how I think we should, you know, approach conversation about racism, for example, just listen. And um, I think that applies to anyone in a position of privilege. I think one of the best things we can do is to listen. Good answer. Thank you. Talk about, I want to go back to virtue versus virginity because yes. I wish I'd learned that a lot earlier. Yes. And I, and I recognized that when I was dating, I was looking for a virgin. Yeah. If someone had told me they'd been sexually active, it would have changed my feelings about her. Mm-hmm. And I, and the, and it flipped a little for me when I started to, I dated a few divorced women and obviously they were married. Um, and they, they, they helped me just because I, they were just awesome. And I just recognized their lived experiences in this divorce. It actually matured them in a way yeah. that was, um, I, I, it was attractive to me on the money levels. I married somebody who was not divorced at the end of the day, but I, it, that caused me to sort of reconsider some of my checklist. I sort of had this checklist list. And then I started to get more principle-based as I, the longer I dated, I, I did, because I recognized the checklist may prevent me from marrying somebody that was actually the, the, the type of woman I wanted to marry. Yeah. And it was sort of more of a principle base. I wanted someone that was Christ-like, that was committed to our marriage, that was committed to our kids, that was close to Heavenly Father, that was using her talents to bless the world. And I, the checklist wasn't always linear linked to that. But that's kind of, a long statement, but go back to what would you say to either men or women that still have, that are dating and looking for a virgin? And what would you say to them? Um, I would tell them, I tell them it doesn't matter. <laughs> if they are disciples of Jesus Christ, and I think when um, Elder Benar talks about how Instead of making a list for a spouse, you should make a list for yourself and you'll attract that person into your life, which I really love. Um, I would just say if they are a disciple, I mean, I think in those who, um, you know, have broken the law of chastity in the past, I think they have a greater understanding of the atonement and a really beautiful relationship with the Savior because of it. And I think that's something that's beautiful and that everyone can learn from. And if your relationship with someone who has that experience, um, you can learn so much about the Savior and about the atonement. And um, I don't know why anyone wouldn't want that. And so I would just look at it from a perspective, an eternal perspective, because in the in the eternities, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're taught that our sins will be white as snow. Um, and what they've done in the past, the Lord has forgotten. Um, so. I think just maintaining an eternal perspective and looking for someone who embodies the Savior and the attributes that he has and um, is someone, like you said, someone that will be close with their heavenly parents 
and love and serve, I think um, I would just say to people, like, just make sure your priorities are um, more focused on the Savior and less about what someone's past looks like. Because in the long run, that doesn't, it won't matter. Um, what would you say to listeners that have been sexually active and are wondering, have repented from that and are clean and single and wondering if, and I, you get all, every question I could ask you, <laughs> Ashley, I'm sure you've gotten a DM. What would you say to a listener who's been sexually active and is wondering if they should disclose that in the, as they're dating somebody? Um, I would say to follow the spirit and... I think it also depends on, I think, what you've done and the level. And I think it's, um, if it's something that you feel prompted, I think it's just best to follow the spirit. I think every situation is different. Every relationship is different. Um, I mean, I believe in full disclosure and full honesty. I think that's probably the healthiest way to start a marriage and a relationship. Um, And I think it's important to see someone's reaction. If you tell someone the things that you've done and they have a really negative um, reaction towards you, that's probably, you know, something you might want to consider um, because they could have that reaction if, you know, your child goes through the same thing. So I would just really just follow the spirit and the guidance of, you know, the leaders that you have. And um, I also just wouldn't be afraid. I mean. You, I think if um, marriage is something that you desire, you are going to find someone who loves you completely for you and nothing you've ever done is going to change that. And so I think the last thing you should be is afraid or scared or feel like no one is going to want to marry you or they're going to see you differently. Um, Because when someone loves you in the way that Christ loves us, those things won't matter. What a great perspective. I thought you could handle that question. You did great. <laughs> um, Thank you. In the, uh, looks like the August end sign in the YSA digital version, I have an article in there, um, how the Savior's healing power applies to repenting from sexual sin. And it's really consistent with the things Ashley's sharing. Um, but some sort of go down this road, you know, they think, well, my sins are so bad that I can't, I'll go from, though your sins be scarlet, they be as white as snow. And you kind of mentioned white as snow. They don't quite believe that applies to them. Yeah. They think, well, with a lot of forgiving on my part, a lot of repenting on my part, a lot of forgiving on the Lord's part, you can get me to a light shade of pink. And it was S. Michael Wilcox, one of my institute teachers that kind of coined this for me, calling it as a pink Mormon. Now we call it a pink Latter-day Saint, but that person thinks they're forever different because of their past. Yeah. And I just think that undersells the power of the atonement. And culturally, we create that also. Some of that's our own sort of unforced errors. An example I put in the article is, I'll never be able to teach the law of chastity because I broke it. Yes. And or he'll or she will never want to marry me because I've been sexually active. And I think I think just you, you can't go down that road. I think you're underselling the power of the atonement. And I like the way you actually said your potential spouse may recognize that you understand the power of the atonement better because you've had to use it in your life. And, and that process has brought you Christ-like attributes 
that have come into your life through the process of repenting that will improve your marriage and improve your ability to teach that doctrine to your children. So they won't, for the right spouse, they may, hopefully they will actually not even look at that as a negative thing. Yeah. They'll look at it as you are a better person because you've gone through this process. Now that's, Ashley and I aren't giving people an invitation to sin. It's just sort of, you know, we're inviting everybody to keep the commandments, but it's the reality of mortalities. We just mess up. And that's where I think the real true understanding of atonement in our character is how we handle that and how we respond to other people. More thought, and I'd love you to talk about the word virtue. How would you just, you know, because you talked about we should focus on virtue versus virginity. Just share with us your feelings about that word. Oh, that is such a good question. Um, I mean, for years, I equated that to virginity and sexual purity. And I, um, now I look at it as a, being able to always have the spirit with you. I feel like when I am living a virtuous life, it's a life where I am open to receiving the spirit and I'm in a place where I can um, be guided and receive personal revelation. And of course, that's not always as everyone's human, but um, for me, virtue and living a virtuous life is just being the place where you are striving to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and where you can always feel the spirit. Um, so that's how I personally think of virtue. And there's a lot more that goes to it. There's a lot of really amazing scriptures about it. Um, but that's just kind of my own definition. What advice do you have for bishops if somebody comes in to confess sexual sin? Yes. Um, so I'll share my experience to help others as someone who's been through this repentance process um, for sexual sin early in high school um, and went to a bishop about it. Um, I would just, I mean, anyone who goes into a bishop to repent knows what they've done is wrong. They know that they've sinned. They usually know um, to the extreme that they've sinned and they um, are so scared. <laughs> I don't think anyone who has ever been to the bishop's office to confess isn't terrified to death. And um, so I think having that perspective that they're coming in terrified and they feel so much guilt and shame um, and they just want to be clean again instead of having this perspective that um, a more judgmental perspective or one where um, I've spoken to a lot of people with their bishops um, just give them long lectures and uh, told them that you know you've hurt these many people in your life these are all the people that you've hurt and like we know that we know what the hurt we've caused and we know what we've done. We're just here to be clean again and be whole again. So I'd say um, to bishops, just striving to have charity for those who come in, especially the youth, that's really scary. And um, just also making sure that they know that it's a safe place where you're not going to tell their parents unless you want them to. They are not going to disclose this information to anyone. This is a 
I mean, unless this is a situation of abuse or a more extreme situation where other people do need to be involved, then um, this is a safe space and this is a safe space where you are loved. I just wish, um, you know, I had a bishop that started with, this is a safe space where you are loved and your worth is the same. Your worth is set and nothing can change that. And I'm here to love you and listen to you. And we're going to work on this together. You are really brave. Oh, thank you. To talk sometimes. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about vulnerability, about your own journey. Be yeah. open with that. I think that's I'd love great. To. Thank you. And I, um, so thank you for that. That was great advice. And um, we don't get a lot of training. Um, I wish we had more training, and maybe this podcast will help. I just, you know, when I was called as a YSA bishop, I I knew that would be part of what my experience would be, would be hearing confessions. And um, after, certainly towards the end of that assignment, I'd had more, developed more skill, but I just love what you said. I think everybody needs to feel the bishop, leave the bishop's office feeling better. Yeah. And, and those people, I think everybody needs to feel that they're a hero for coming in and telling the bishop. I love that. Everybody needs to feel that way because I think that's the way Christ would want everybody to feel. I love the way you said you already know. Um, that's my experience too. And then I think, you know, we bishops need, and I'm not a bishop anymore, need to go slow on just what, how we handle these situations. And I, you know, I I think the YSA I always thought there was a grid in the handbook where I'd look up their sexual sin and if they were in doubt or not, and blah, 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 blah. And that would be like this list of consequences, and there's not. Uh, and so I think it's really up to the bishops to work with the spirit and decide what the right course of action is. And I found that the more I did that, the more I, I felt um, the right course of action was very different for the same situation because I felt the goal I felt the goal of repentance at the end of the day is godly sorrow and a change of heart. Yeah. And that's not time related. Sometimes we think repentance is just time, six months for that, eight months for that, three weeks for this. And time is a means to get somebody to godly sorrow and change of heart. And sometimes the YSAs would come in and the confession was the last thing, to be honest. They were at godly sorrow and change of heart. And all they needed to do was just tell somebody yeah and and that's that actually ended the repentance process and there was no further work that needed to be done sometimes it kicked off the repentance process but i found that working with the ysas and working with the spirit was the best way to sort of solve this and it wasn't just time and a lockstep it was very customized and i also had a couple ysas that were in toxic relationships and it's being sexually active was a controlling part of that toxic relationship. And both were women that were sort of the victims of this toxic relationship. And yeah, they were both sexually active and there was consent there, but it was it, for the woman. It was in these two cases was not about sex at all. Yeah. It was absolutely the more I thought about it and prayed about it. I thought there's really no sin occurring here. This is about control. Mm-hmm. And to treat those two the exact same way would actually just, I think, enable the toxic relationship and his control. Yeah. 
and to see them as very different situations and treat them very differently was took took a lot of I don't I don't want to pat myself on the back, but it took a lot of being open to the spirit and recognizing this is very different than someone who wants to blatantly sin. This is somebody who's in a toxic relationship. Um, so I just think this is pretty sacred ground when people open up and, and I think we have to learn to just be pretty careful and not create any shame. I've even felt the sacrament. Some of the YSAs just assumed they couldn't take the sacrament. And I'd say, I think it's especially true of a home ward where there's a lot of shame around not taking a sacrament mm-hmm. on the parents' role. Yes. <laughs> We've had some of that with our own sons. I think they're okay with me mentioning that. And there's and I've wondered if the sacrament should be more about looking forward and wanting to do your best versus looking backwards as a punishment. It's such a public thing. And I've over time I would ask the YSAs, would it help to not take the sacrament as a way to motivate you in a positive way? Or would actually taking the sacrament help you in a and there's nothing in the handbook about yeah. that. So I, I don't want to make this podcast all about me and my experiences because um, I want to keep Ashley talking. But I just think um, the things you're teaching help us to be pretty careful. And and um, I even think about, you know, is it Corey Anton? Who are we talking? You brought up the the son of Alma that I'm going to misspeak here that was not a good missionary. Oh, yeah. Is it Corey Anton? And, or I can't remember. Sorry, listeners. The harlot, uh, Isabel. Yeah. Alpha story. Mm-hmm. And we sort of, I'm uncomfortable connect. I guess the point of what I was going to say is what Ashley said, I'm uncomfortable linking sexual sin next to murder, um, especially for our YSAs. Uh, maybe a high-ranking, he may have been a set-apart missionary, may have been an adult. This is Alma's son we're talking about that. I'm not sure which one, listeners, sorry. So I don't want to misname the son, but um, I'm just uncomfortable, um, you know, unless it's a high-ranking church leader that's, you know, that's a different situation, especially in the case of um, child sex abuse and taking advantage of the privilege a church leader has Yeah. versus a YSA, an unmarried person messing up. I think that's... Not two completely different things, and so I just I think we need to not teach that because it creates so much shame that we're outside of God's love that we never turn to the atonement. And I've also haven't been I've when I don't believe Christ feels pain of subsequent sin. I think He's felt the pain of all of our sins. So if somebody walks in my office and confesses sin, it would just be shaming for me. Where you've just added to Christ's burden. I don't think Christ would want us to say that. I think he's already paid the price. And I think he's thrilled when somebody comes and wants to. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a joyful process. It's a joyful process. And I think he rejoices. It's his greatest gift to mankind, humankind. I don't know if that's a sexist word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think he does, Ashley. So there's a lot of work we can do in that area. Yes. And I've wondered how much we need to confess to bishops, to be honest, and how much a lot of the YSAs are pretty confused on what needs, what to, be, needs to be confessed and what yeah. doesn't. And I think we can improve on that mm-hmm. um, because I think YSAs want to do the right thing, but often they just don't quite know where that yeah, is. And where us bishops are sometimes not sure where it is or we're not comfortable just directly communicating. Yeah. And I think it's 
think the best way to communicate that is just go into Release Society and Elders Quorum and talk to each group or combine them and say, this is, you know, let's just talk about all this stuff. And this is kind of what you need to talk to me about and what you don't. And and some of that stuff you don't need to talk to me about if you want to and you think it could be yeah, helpful. Yeah. Maybe that's okay, but you don't, it's not a requirement. You mm-hmm. can just work that out with Heavenly Father. So I'm going to turn it back to you for any more thoughts on that, or you can shift to other Instagram posts you'd like to talk about. I would just add one more comment that um, I think the atonement is so individualized. Um, like you were talking about how everyone's situation is different. Um, and I would just say to anyone that has um, made mistakes, especially in regards to sexual mistakes, um, and as someone who has been there, and I share this um, so that anyone's listening can feel some peace and some comfort, um, that I, well, would I ever do it again? No, but I wouldn't trade the experience that I had and the um, power that that repentance process um, held for me in my life and the relationship that I developed with the Savior, I wouldn't change that for the world. And I'm so grateful that I have been through the repentance process. I think um, it's just been a blessing. And so if you've gone through that and it's still a source of shame and guilt, um, I would just try to view it as a as a blessing and as a way that you can serve and minister in the life of someone else. I think you're really brave and I think you do the right thing when you talk a little bit about your own journey. Thank you. I think you're able to be authentic to other people that I know are reaching out to you because you're willing to share a little bit about without getting into details and specifics, but just enough that people know, you know, this world and you've walked through this and Mm -hmm. you can help. It's you've heard this quote. I do the wounded healer. Yes. That he or she knows that desert and can lead others. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's part of your life mission. And I think, I don't think we have a conference talk that says go sin because you can help other people, but it is part of the plan that we just aren't meant to be perfect. Yeah. And then we're able to help other people in our journeys. Um, And I don't, I, there's another article at the end sign that I just, just came out in October. It's seven tips for overcoming pornography. And one of the points of that that I wrote, and you could look for that in the YSA digital section, is sort of the idea that you're not back to square one if you mess up. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're not, it, you've just got to look at that journey, and we'll probably do another podcast on that, is just, you know, it's a journey, and you've got to learn, you've got to grow, and there's seven tips there, and you can kind of read that. The article isn't an article about don't start pornography. My assumption is you know that. The article is meant for those working to solve it. Yeah. And sort of practical tips on and the power of Christ to help. But go back to pornography, because you actually said something in that first yes. thing about pornography not being a just share with us that again and your thoughts on that. Um I talked about how I think we a lot of people think pornography is a sexual problem or a problem that um only the like per- perverts or it's something that those who are disturbed and that's something that only men go through. And that is just so not the case. <laughs> it, um, at least for the people that I loved in my life who struggled through it, it's um, an escape from emotional problems and things that are going on in their lives. And it's a way to cope. And while it's not the best way to cope, it's not a sexually perverted problem. It's 
um, they're hurting and this is a way that they cope. And so I think um, that's important to clarify in church, especially for both young men and the young women, because I think as young women um, and YSAs, if, you know, we're dating someone and a young man tells us that they struggle with pornography, then we, um, I don't want to see to tell me if anyone's, if you're engaged and someone tells you they struggle with pornography, break it off. And I believe that for a lot of years, that that's just means that they're not a good person, which is just the exact opposite of what Christ teaches. And if we say, okay, pornography is an issue. It's a problem. Let's dig deeper. Why are you viewing pornography? What is, what do you need in your life? What, um, emotional stability connections you need that will help you overcome this problem instead of shaming because especially those in the church they we are told so many times pornography is so wrong and we are told of the damages that it has and I think as members um if we just change that narrative not to excuse it in any way but to stop shaming and stop making it this um horrible sinful thing where People feel like they can't open up to anyone about it. And um, I think I, especially with um, the youth, I think that is just such an important thing to talk about. And also that women struggle with it. Um, I thought it was just a men's issue for so many years. And I've had many women come to me that said that they've struggled with it. And um, a frequent thing that I've heard so many times, and I think so many women I've heard in young women's lessons and um, in regards to pornography, they say something like, well, we have to teach this. We know none of you are going through it. Um, Interesting. This is more young men's thing. I've probably every single young pornography lesson I had in young women started out that way. And um, I think that's just so damaging to any girls in the room that are struggling with it. Hearing that um, also that excuses the young men. It gives the young men more of an excuse. Um, saying it's just a problem for them. They could say, oh, well, I'm a boy. So yeah, it makes sense. Where this is a universal problem that people have. And I think we need to be better at understanding that and understanding the psychology behind it as well. It's a great answer. Um, it was finally a therapist that taught me the iceberg concept, which is basically yeah. sometimes what I see and what someone might confess in the bishop's office is the stuff above the iceberg. Mm -hmm that is sin-related needs to be addressed. But often if I put that on the shelf a little bit, just like you're suggesting and dig deeper, I found what you're talking about. And then you need, you know, you need different tools than the bishop can provide to solve these things often. Yeah. Which might be therapy mm -hmm. and the therapist to kind of get to the bottom of the iceberg and understand what's really going on here. Yes. And so I think we just have to recognize sometimes we need Jesus and sometimes we need a therapist and, and then just telling people just to stop. If you've got to kind of get below that iceberg. Yeah. And I think priestly leaders, therapists, parents, but the individuals can do that too. I think they have to, they have to work some of that journey out and, and understand what's going on here. And like you said, often I felt like it was anxiety, stress, a need for connection. Um, and some of that's self-imposed. You know, some yeah. people say, well, this is a sign the world's going down here because more of our youth are messing up with pornography. But we've created some of that with all the stress yeah. and anxiety we've created. Mm -hmm. 
that is causing our youth to have to cope with that in ways that perhaps my generation didn't need to. More, any more thoughts on that? Those are wonderful insights. I don't think so. Talk about other topics on your Instagram that we haven't gotten to that are important to you and you'd like to share with our listeners or just outside of your Instagram. I assume everything that's important (laughs) is there. Um, I think the two biggest things that I am most passionate about are um, the way we treat women, the way we treat the LGBTQ community. Um, I think some of the most sacred experiences that I've had through my Instagram account have been through my posts about um, narratives we needed to stop and start giving our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. And I didn't write those. I had um, anonymous submissions cool. write those for me because I can't speak to the LGBTQ experience. That's not my journey. So I had, um, I posted my story, like send me your stories and send me your thoughts. And I um, just compiled the uh, the ones that I received. And for that week, I usually spent a week on each topic and just kind of opened. Um, we had a day where we talked about transgender and there was a lot that I learned from that day. And um, so that's something I'm, I'm really, really passionate about. Um, I think ever since I was younger, I just have always um, felt this love that I feel comes from my heavenly parents. I think it's more of a divine thing for the LGBTQ community um, before I could really understand what it was. And um, I mean, that's not my journey, but I just feel um, that they just need to be just smothered in love. I think they just need to be loved to death. And I think we, um, we just hear, I love you, but I can't support you. Or, I mean, I'll love you, but um, I, I, mean, I can't go to your wedding. Or I just can't support your lifestyle. Um, and to me, that's not love in the way Christ loved. And that's condi- more conditional love. And I think um, if we see their identities and I see you as a gay lesbian transgender child of heavenly parents um instead of someone who struggles with it I think that's another thing we need to stop saying um because I know many people that I I love being gay it's not a struggle for me um it's something I celebrate and it's I a think, struggle for all of us <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> yes it can be your struggle if it bothers you, but for a lot of people, they, it's something to be celebrated. I think we can celebrate that. Um, and I just, I, something that really changed my perspective was realizing that, um, our heavenly parents don't make mistakes and they created men who love other men. I don't know why. We don't know why. We don't know. There's so much we don't know. Um, but we know that they are children of heavenly parents and they don't make mistakes. And um, they like our heavenly parents literally created women who feel like they should be men and then who feel like they should be women. And there's nothing they can do to change that. And I think having that perspective that, okay, heavenly mother and heavenly father created you the way you are for a reason. I don't know that reason. I can't say what that reason is, but 
um, that really helped change my perspective in better loving and I think supporting those in that community. It's really good what you said. I'm with you. And um, what would you say to LGBTQ people listening? I love you. I don't think there's much else I can say um, except for that. I love you, and I hope that, um, I mean, my allyship as an LGBTQ ally is imperfect. I feel like I'm always learning, and um, I'm always realizing the mistakes that, you know, I've made and how to improve, and I just um, hope that I can be a safe person. My DMs are always open for anyone. Um, I've had, I think I counted it, and it was um, 17 closeted members that hadn't come out at anyone and we had very special conversations and I learned so much from them. Um, I would just say to anyone who's LGBTQ that I just want to learn <laughs> from you and I want to um, learn how to create safe spaces and safe homes and safe church settings for you and even if you can't, even if the church isn't safe for you and you just can't deal with that then that's fine I um I don't blame anyone who leaves the church um because it's just not a safe place for everyone they just don't feel safe and um I think the Lord understands that what would you say if you met an LGBTQ person in Poland LGBTQ person in Poland um (laughs) what would you first want to communicate to them this is something I've thought and prayed about a lot. Um, Poland is one of the most homophobic countries in the world, um, as most European Orthodox countries are. Um, the government right now, the LGBTQ, community, the LGBTQ community there is really suffering and really hurting with the current president they have and the current political climate there. And um, I feel like that's one of the reasons I was called there. Um, that's cool. Yeah, just... Um, I would just want to tell them that uh, the Lord created you for a reason and you're not a mistake. You're not, there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> and I love you. I think that's all I can communicate. Um, I mean, as a missionary, you do have to teach certain things, but um, me as a individual speaking to another individual, I think, that's all I want to communicate is just making sure that they feel loved and accepted for who they are. And then they don't have to change who they are to be a safe person with me. That's my goal. At least you'll do that. And I think they'll feel your love. And if you've got that name badge on you, I think, and what you just taught, it'll help them to feel like, well, maybe God can love me too. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's so much internalized homophobia mm-hmm. and transphobia that it's oh, hard to gosh, believe yeah. that God would love somebody like me. And yeah. I think if you and us and all of us can love LGBTQ people, then they, it's easier for them to love themselves. Exactly. Willie Donahue, one of my buddies, talked about his son going to San Antonio. And one of the traditions, they go to the Alamo. And somehow this young man on his first day of his mission picked up there was a guy over there that was gay. I can't quite remember how he figured that out. And none of the other missionaries wanted to go talk to him. And Or maybe this oh. young man didn't quite want to talk to LDS missionaries because mm-hmm. he's just guarded about all Christian churches. But this young man just walked over and says, I love you. And God loves you. 
And it just looked up. All they need to hear. And so it's all they need to hear. So we can eventually get into our doctrine. Um, As our listeners know, I sustain and support our doctrine and invite everybody to follow our doctrine. And, um, but I, I think, you know, we can just do what you said. Just let everybody know they're loved. And I think the ultimate goal of missionaries is to bring people into Christ. Yeah, exactly. Even if that doesn't mean um, baptizing them into the church, if I bring them to the Savior, or at least um, to make them feel the Savior's love in their lives, I think um, then it would have been worth it. I agree with that. And I thought missionary work was all about baptisms. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that that is... There's people in my life I've had the honor of baptizing a few in the last few years. Um, and that's been a real privilege. I mean, I felt very comfortable that their path was into our, to, to our restored church to better connect with Christ. But I've recognized that that may not be everybody's path. And I've been at more peace with that, that God, he seems to be fine with 99% of everyone in mortality being outside our church. So I thought, oh, if he's going to be okay with it, I'm going to be more okay with yeah. it. And I've, and I've recognized my goal for some people is to just help them feel God's love and Christ in their life. And that may lead them to join the church one day down the road. Yeah. But I think that's more relieving as missionaries to measure their progress by that versus these numerical goals. That we, uh, are you okay with that? Or does that sound, you know, that? Yeah. And in fact, something that's really um, helped me um, be more excited about going on a mission is realizing that I'm going for the savior and not for the church. I mean, those two things do go hand in hand. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to baptize more people. I'm going to love them. And, um, I'm going to love them. Yeah. If I don't have a single convert on my mission, but one person feels loved, then I think that it's worth it. That is so simple and so powerful. I'm going to love them. I wonder how many of us will stand before God and Christ our judge and and be asked that question. Did you love them? Yeah. Um, Unto the least, I can't even paraphrase, I can't do scriptures very well tonight. (laughs) Unto the least, you know, it's help me, Ashley, when you've served the least, you've served me. As you've done to least these my brother, and you've done unto me something exactly. Like that. Yeah, I, I just think we won't stand before the Savior and be told, Ashley, you just love people a little too much. You yeah. just help them feel my love a little too much, mm-hmm. I, and it's it's pretty simple. And when yeah. people feel our love, I think they're more open to suggestions. They're more open to being honest with them us about what's really going on in our life so we can help them yeah and so i just think that that's and i think you know i just think it, people throughout the world are wounded i think this is a really wounding mm-hmm. world um in so many reasons and i think the atonement is is the healing balm and i think christ is the answer and his yeah. love and his atonement i think that's that's the goal of missionary work is to connect people with Christ. Exactly. And when we frame it that way, a lot of people are just more relieved and go, well, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> I can love everybody. 
especially um, for those who have doubts and questions about the church and are wondering if they can be, I know I've definitely struggled with that, if I can be a good missionary and still have these questions and struggles with it. Um, just, just go to love and the rest will work itself out. I do have people that open up to me. I'm not a priestly leader, so I'm not doing that in a formal way, but I do have people that open up to me and said, you know, I, I want to serve a mission. I feel good about serving a mission. I want to bring people to Christ. But I don't necessarily feel good about everything in our church. Yeah, same. And I, I think you should still serve. And I think mm-hmm. we should make space for you to serve. So that I don't think it's a requirement to have every missionary have the same belief about yeah. every... and no missionary is 100%. Yeah. So a lot of missionaries are uncomfortable about LGBTQ and... Yeah. Um, or uncomfortable about our history of this or that. And I think we just need to create space for everybody that wants to serve and help people come mm-hmm. into Christ and is committed and will teach our doctrine. Yeah. And even if there's some elements that they're a little unsettled about or maybe privately hope changes down the road, I think we need to not question their commitment to the church or their commitment to Christ and, in fact, maybe give them an extra sort of virtual or hug for their willingness to serve without everything just lining up perfectly for them. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, other, we've probably got time for one more topic. Is there one more Instagram? You've did LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, this podcast, we talk a lot about that. So um, thanks for being in that space. And what a credit to you that 17 closeted people have felt comfortable enough about your messages to open up to you. Yeah, that was very sacred. And that is sacred. Mm-hmm. And social media can do that. It can, it can signal that you're a safe person. And I think that's something that all of us as parents or priesthood leaders or local leaders need to think, what can I do to signal that I'm a safe person so that my own kids or people I have stewardship responsibility will open up to me. And, and I think it's saying kind things about LGBTQ people, yeah. or marginalized people or, or people in the political party that you're not in, mm-hmm. or cause I think it sends a message that you're a safe person. Yeah, for sure. I've talked about this when I started to say kind things about LGBTQ people as a YSA bishop on social media, it stunned me what happened. No more LGBT people came out, but a bunch of the straight kids, including some that weren't active at all, said, okay, this guy I can talk to. Mm-hmm. Just like those yeah. 17 DMs. And just and they may not be, those were closeted people, but I would guess people just say, okay, I can talk to Ashley. And they're DMing you because people need safe people in the church to talk to. And you're creating a platform through your Instagram that you're safe. And yeah, I hope so. I think we all need to, what can I do through Throat and Prayer to be safe? Not everybody's going to do an Instagram page, but you may be, may be led to know what you can do to create the same sort of feeling because then we can help people when they fully open us what's going on in their lives. Exactly. But talk more about any other subject. I guess I'll just, um, the last one I want to talk about is um, to anyone who feels like they are struggling being a member of the church right now um, or are going through a faith crisis, have gone through a faith crisis um, or a faith transition, um, 
that's something that I am hoping to talk about soon, probably next week on my Instagram. Um, because I mean, I've gone through, um, so many moments where I just don't know. Um, I think about the scripture in DNC, um, when the savior is like, recall the night that you were just crying to me. And I think he's talking to Oliver Cowdery. Um, that night that I just heard you and I just have had so many conversations with the Lord. Like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to serve a mission with some of these things about the church. Um, I don't know how I'm going to teach these things. I don't know how, um, there are some times when I've just been like, I don't know how I can, you know, stay a member. It's really hard right now, um, to feel good about this. And, um, I, once I separated, um, the church from the gospel, I think in a healthy way, realizing that, um, the church is, it is a temporary organization, not kind of the church in the eternities. Um, it's for this earth and for this time. And it's a way, um, that we can draw closer to the Savior and it's a way that we can live a life of discipleship. And I think having that perspective really helped me and also realizing that um, you can still have doubts and questions and go to the temple and you can still hold some personal beliefs about the LGBTQ community and things like that and and go to the temple and um, be a missionary and hold callings and you can say, you know what, I'm I'm not okay with the priesthood ban, for example, I'm not going to try to excuse it in any way. Um, it's something that I'm just, I just can't speak to because it just bothers me so much. And you can still be a disciple of Jesus Christ and you can still be a member of this church. Um, I firmly believe that um while for the church may not be for everyone, Jesus is for everyone. And um, wherever we are, he's just going to meet us and he wants us. However imperfectly we show up, I feel like I've just showed up so imperfectly so many days. I'm just like, I haven't, I haven't read my scriptures in a week. I, it hurts to pray sometimes. Um, but it, I always just go back to the Savior and my heavenly parents. And um, I think it's just important to remember them in those times when it's just hard. <laughs> it's just hard to go to church on Sunday. It's hard to watch them a conference that's coming up. And that can be a really painful thing for some people. Um, and it's hard to teach some lessons sometimes. And I think just going back to, okay, I have a heavenly mother who knows me understands me, I have a father who knows me and have a savior who knows me so perfectly. And um, just cling on to that is what I would, that's the last thing I just really wanted to talk about because I feel like um, we go to church and we see people and we sit in testimony meetings and it feels like everyone is doing great and they are just these spiritual giants and these scriptorians. And I think sometimes it's easy to feel like we don't have at least I feel like, oh, like, how can I serve amongst these people? And I'm just so imperfect. And um, just remembering that 
you're okay and you're enough and the Lord needs you and the church needs you is what I, that's all I'd say. You are really brave. (laughs) Thank you. Really brave and you're really honest and you're really wonderful. And I love the way you talk so openly and I just think there are so many members that feel the way you do but don't know how to talk about it or even think it's it's okay to talk about it. And there's obviously people out of the church they can talk to about it and they may eventually feel they belong there. But if we can talk Mm. about it in church and even have people in church that feel the way you do and they're accepted and valued and put to work and not treated as second-class citizens or someone that needs fixing, then I think we do better as the body of Christ. And I think about to some it's given to know, it's a DNC scripture, to some it's given to believe. We just have different spiritual gifts. So you say you don't know and, yeah. and you believe or you want to believe. And mm-hmm. behind that, maybe this is you, that someone that's equally committed to helping people come into Christ to do what's right. And so we shouldn't, we should create a culture in church where we normalize different testimony types. Yeah. And so all the people that aren't an I don't know, I know, I don't want to, if you're an I know the church is true person, Keep that. Yeah, we need that's to hear wonderful. That. Don't lose that. But if you're an I believe or I hope to believe or I don't know, we need to hear those testimonies yeah. at church. And we need to look at people like you as not needing to be fixed or there's a backstory that if you just kept more commandments, you know. We just have to realize people have different spiritual gifts. Yeah. And behind each of those testimonies, like I said, um, is I believe is somebody doing their very best to come into Christ. Exactly. And we need to normalize different testimony types. And you're brave enough to do that. And I think people will continue to be drawn to you because you're authentic, including as a missionary. It may be your companions, members in your ward, investigators that just feel you or you, you kind of get it and they can trust you. And then we help people. Oh, thank you so much. But you're really brave. Thank um, you. That means I, the world to me. I think your older selves are going to look back at your 19-year-old self and and just say what you're doing right now and the way you're talking honestly is just making your whole life mission possible. And I think you'll continue to do this. Um, And we're losing good people in our church right now, but I think we can keep more of those good people if we create space for them and recognize they're doing their very best they can and give people permission to be uncomfortable. Exactly. About you talked about the rate the priesthood ban or about current LGBTQ or polygamy. There's so many. There's, there's so, so many, many things. And I think we can just give permission for people to be uncomfortable about those mm-hmm. or feel we should have done better. I think it's more likely we can keep more people. I think yeah. most people I meet with in a faith crisis actually want to stay in the church. They actually aren't yeah. finding a way to leave. Yeah. They want want to stay. So, um. Any concluding, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I don't think so. Let me ask a question about your parents. Do your parents know all about this Instagram page, about all your thoughts? Are they a safe place for you? Yes. Um, my parents are. And, and they give me. in England right Yes. Now. Yes. They give me um, a lot of hope because they, um, and they gave me permission to share this. They, um, 10 years ago. Um, would they say that they were homophobic people and they were not safe people and they've said that and they um, saw it as a very black and white um, 
And now they are some of the strongest allies I know. And they just love unconditionally. And they, there's room for anyone in their pew at church. And um, they're active in their ward. Yes. Yeah. My dad's the bishop and my mom's a seminary teacher. And they just share openly about, um, you know, the faith journey that they've been on and the ups and downs that they've gone on. And um, because they share those things with me and with my siblings, I think we all feel safe with them. And um, because they say, yeah, I don't know about this. This doesn't sit right with me. I, I can't say I know this, but I can say I believe and I want to believe. Um, then I can go to them. I feel like they're safe people. So very grateful for them and their example and um, of just loving everyone unconditionally. They're a huge part of um, why I am the way I am. And I think if more parents are just, the more, I think the more you share with your kids about the things you've gone through, the more they'll come to you. At least that's been my experience. What a great principle. Yeah. I, if you're mom and dad Willis are listening, I, you know, and we visited before and I learned a little bit about your daughter's love for you. And I think you're doing a great job. And I do agree that as we're open as parents, um, with a little bit of what's going on in our life, yeah. as the spirit directs us, that it makes us safer for our kids. Mm-hmm. And I love that you're, I just absolutely love that your parents are supportive of this Instagram. They believe in you. Yeah. They're not trying to fix you. Yeah. They're a safe <laughs> place for you. And I think that really helps you um, in your journey within yes. the church. And so I just, what your parents are doing to me is what we all should be doing um, for people around us. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's a great part of your story. Yeah. And I think, and I think we'll just improve. And I, I just think LDS culture needs to improve. I, I just. Yeah. And it's nothing to do with doctrine or um, the prophet. It's just, we're all broken people trying to come to Jesus and we do it imperfectly, but we can do better. And unless we call for change, then nothing's going to change. I agree with that. Um, I really do think we're all wounded and broken. And I yeah. think at the core of missionary work is to heal that woundedness and that brokenness through Christ. Mm-hmm. And talking about Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon, to me, I wouldn't lead with that like I used to. I would lead with the atonement's ability to heal brokenness and how through our restored church we have an understanding of the atonement that's unique. And that came through a, a modern-day prophet and Book of Mormon and priesthood keys. So that's sort of the, I'm a marketing guy. So those are sort of the features or the story behind the benefit. The benefit to me or the need is we're all broken. We're all wounded. And the atonement can heal that. And you bring that healing message to the people of Poland. And we all can bring that message to others. To me, that is the core need in the world right now. Yeah, exactly. So thank you, Ashley Willis. Thank you. Thank you You, so much. You are brave and courageous and wonderful. And I encourage everybody to follow your Instagram account at? Certain.women. It's a great account. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.